When I was in high school, my best friend, or one of my best friends, his name was Todd, and he and I uh, rode to school together every day, or almost every day in high school. He lived in our little farming community. He lived two miles away, which made him one of my next-door neighbors. And his farm was on the way to school, so I would drive two miles, and then here... Uh, stop at his house, and then he'd either get in my car, and I'd drive to school, or I'd park, get in his car, and he would drive to school. And, and, and Todd had this uncanny ability to see wildlife. And it, and it didn't matter whether he was, you know, riding shotgun or whether he was driving, but it wasn't unusual on our way to school... <clears throat> That, that Todd would say, wow, did you see that? What? Oh, there were, there were three deer over there on the edge of the grove. Or, or did you see the fox that was out there uh, in, the, in the hay field? Or, or did you see that raccoon? Or whatever it was, he had, he had this knack to, to see wildlife particularly. And, and, and I wanted to know how he did that. Uh, partly because I felt like I was missing out, but even more than that, I was kind of embarrassed at the number of times I had to say, what deer? I didn't, I didn't see that. Well, Fast forward a little later, one of my uncles, all of my uncles on my mom's side were real outdoorsmen, and, and one of them moved into our area, came back from California, moved into our area, and he had this same ability, although even more so. My uncle Don, it's, it's like if there was a deer somewhere in the county, he had this sense like, oh, you know, three miles north and a little bit east or something. It was really uncanny. And I said to, to my uncle, I said, Don, help me know how to do that. And so he, he helped me learn how to watch and how to look so that I would see stuff. And as I got older and as I got better at it, I had kids, and sometimes my kids would say, Dad, how did you see that? And I remember my friend Todd, and I went, ah, I get how he did that now. It's a matter of knowing how to watch. It's a matter of knowing how to look and knowing what to look for, what captures your attention. Our text this morning. Our, our text is about someone, well, actually it's about two people who, who knew how to look, who knew what they were seeing. The reality is for all of us that we mostly see what we're looking for. We mostly find what we're watching out to find. And in Luke chapter 2, this comes right on the heels of what we know of as the Christmas story. Some of you probably read it or listened to it 
sometime in the last several days. Uh, Luke chapter 2, it tells about Mary and Joseph. It tells about the shepherds. And then after just one verse that talks about Mary and Joseph having Jesus circumcised according to the law, we get this just next door. The very next thing that Luke writes in his gospel. This is from Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 22. And when the time had come for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, that is Mary and Joseph, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him, Jesus, to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a, a pair of two a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, that is Simeon, took him, Jesus, up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you're letting your, your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother, that's Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child's appointed for the fall and rising of many of Israel and for a sign that's opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Father, thank you that we don't have to wait for redemption that it has been accomplished. Help us to see, to see you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to set the scene. Mary and Joseph come to the temple in Jerusalem. And it's important to note that this is the temple, not the synagogue. Oftentimes when I think of the temple, I think of church. 
right? People come in, they sit down, they listen, somebody teaches, they hear. And there was, there, there was a little bit of that or some of that that went on at the temple, but most of that went on at the synagogue. The synagogue is the place that, that's most like our churches, if you will. The temple is, is quite a different place. Partly, the temple is kind of community gathering space. It's a, it's a common place where people of Jerusalem would come. They would bump into each other. They would meet neighbors or friends or relatives or someone they hadn't seen in a long time. They would meet new people there who they didn't know before but had something in common. They'd come to the temple to to worship and to present their sacrifices. And so part of this was kind of community gathering space. But there was also a part of this that within and around the temple, this is the place where people would be bringing their sacrifices. So some would be bringing, like Mary and Joseph, they're bringing birds for the sacrifice. Mary and Joseph would have either had a basket with a couple of pigeons or a couple of of doves, or they would have been prepared to buy a couple of pigeons or a couple of doves. That's maybe more likely the case because they've come up from Bethlehem probably. And so there's birds, but others are sacrificing sheep. So there's sheep in and around the temple. There would have been goats. There would have been cattle. And where there's sheep and goats and birds and cattle, you also have to be careful where you step. Right? So it's, it's part gathering space, but the temple is also part stockyard. You know, there's, there's all of these animals around and the manure and, and, and not only conversations happening and people meeting, but animals and some of them unruly animals, not wanting to, to follow or to be led or to go. And then not, and, and then right in this same area that's part meeting space, part stockyard is also where the sacrifices take place. And so it's also part slaughterhouse to just be blunt about it. And in the midst of that, you would smell not only the the smell of of roasting or maybe burning meat, but the smell of of hair and hide. and, And it would be the smell of incense And in the middle of all of these smells and all of these animals and all of these events and all of these people, in all of this chaos show up this young pair of newlyweds, really. And they're coming to this temple in the neighboring town They're coming to the temple to make a sacrifice they've never made before. 
and to present it in a place they may have never presented sacrifices before with birds they maybe don't even have in their possession yet. And I can't help but imagine, I don't know if my imagination is correct, but I can't help but imagine wide eyes and kind of furtive glances. Like, okay, where do we go to find the pigeons? Um, I... Is it okay for us just to walk up or is there something else I should do when I'm bringing the sacrifice for a newborn son, for a firstborn son? And in the middle of all of this chaos, in the middle of what might have been a ton of confusion, Simeon walks up and takes Jesus into his arms. Some of you are parents. I don't know how this happened. I don't know what took place. I don't know if Simeon explained himself. Did Simeon walk up and go, excuse me, but, but here's who I am, and, and here's what I'm going to do. And the text doesn't tell us the text almost makes it sound like Simeon walks up and takes the child into his arms. Have you ever had strangers when you, for those of you that had kids, when you had a little baby, did you have strangers that came up and invaded their personal space? How did that go? Because if this goes the way I'm thinking it might have, if I was Joseph, I would have had to plunge my clenched fists into my pockets to keep from taking on Simeon. That's my child. Leave him alone. On the other hand, Mary, maybe Mary and Joseph too knew from the Holy Spirit's work in their own lives that this was okay. We're in the temple and this is fine. I don't know how that happened. I don't know if Mary was scared. I don't know if Joseph was angry and defensive. But, but Simeon scoops up the young Messiah and begins to thank God. Begins to give thanks to God for, for an amazing gift. And he prays this prayer with the child in his arms. Lord, now, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. It's a powerful prayer. The word there that in our English language, the best translation we have for it probably is Lord because, because this is a prayer to the Almighty God. But the Hebrew word there is not the word we translate Yahweh. It's the word master. Now, 
we know enough about Simeon to know that the Lord God is his master, so it's perfectly appropriate to address him that way. But it's not... It's, it's, it's not the same as if Joseph, or I'm sorry, as if Simeon was saying, holy almighty God. When he addresses God, he's ruling, he's, he's addressing him as master. And he says, let your servant depart in peace. That word servant is the same word in Hebrew that would be used for slave, it would be equally appropriate for us if that English translation said, God, my master, let your slave depart in peace. It's a prayer of of release. It's a prayer of, of, of this is now completed. Everything I've waited for. Freedom. Master, let your slave go. It's a declaration of freedom in the Messiah that he holds in his hands. And as soon as he's done praying this prayer, he begins to talk about this child to Mary and Joseph. And then just like that, he's gone from the store. As quickly as he showed up, he's gone. And Mary and Joseph are left with these words. And this experience, wow. His reaction is mirrored by the next person in the story. Anna, the prophetess. And and I don't know how Anna knew who Jesus was. Anna had been in the temple day and night. Anna most likely knew Simeon. Maybe Anna looked at a distance and saw Simeon get really excited and go pick up the child and offer thanksgiving and talk. Maybe Anna saw Simeon and went, Oh, I know what he sees. I never see what he sees, but I see it today because he's pointing it out. Or maybe Anna, too, had heard or sensed the Spirit of God drawing her to this young child. But Anna shows up in the picture. And her reaction, what's her reaction when she first meets Jesus? Her reaction is just like Simeon's. The first reaction is to thank the Lord God for his Messiah. And immediately 
she starts talking to people about him. That's, that's the common reaction. That's what could be a more appropriate reaction to meeting Jesus than to thank God for him and to talk about him to others. I wonder about us. If I may ask you a personal question. In your celebration of Christmas, whether that celebration was yesterday or Friday on Christmas Eve or maybe a couple of days before that or or. Or, or maybe your celebration of Christmas is still coming. Maybe you've got another day or two before that real celebration takes place. Or maybe your celebration was just very simple and very quiet. But in your celebration of Christmas, what did you see? Did you see a Messiah? Simeon prayed, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before all men. That too would be appropriate to say, which you have prepared right before our very eyes. Did you see Jesus this Christmas? Because remember, most of the time, we see what we're looking for. And if you saw Jesus in your Christmas celebration, I want to remind you that there are a lot of people out there who are like I was in high school. They don't know how to look. There are people who miss Jesus in Christmas. Not because, not because they don't know better. Not because, not because they're ridiculous. Not because they aren't smart enough or good enough or right enough. They just, they don't know how to look. They don't know what to watch for. They don't see the indications, the indicators. It doesn't grasp their attention. They need someone like my Uncle Don. They need somebody that can teach them how to look. Oh. Church, can we be the ones, can we be the ones to help them know how to watch and how to look and how to see 
Because among other things like us, they need to know. They need to know what to look for. Because because if we can show them what we see, then maybe they can see it too. Will you pray with me?